Well, good morning. I'm glad to see all of you. I hope you had a great week. Hope you have had some time to recover and reflect on Fuel Weekend, all the wonderful things that we were able to do. Um, Again, if you were a part of that this last weekend, thank you for being a part of it. We got so much encouragement on your behalf from all kinds of places, service projects, the church itself, congregation members, that sort of thing. Uh, You guys were a huge blessing. So uh, just as as I have opportunity, let me just say once again, thanks for all of your work last weekend. Well, but this morning we are back in the book of Acts, and I am so excited. It's been quite a few weeks since we've been in Acts, and so I would love to kind of kick us off with a recap before we jump into uh, Paul's first missionary journey through Asia Minor. So uh, you go ahead and find Acts 13. That's where we're going to be this morning, Acts 13. As you're finding Acts 13, uh, just listen to kind of this recap. We begin the book of Acts with Jesus teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and learning what it means to see Christ in God's word, in the scriptures. We learned from Acts chapter one that that's one of the things Jesus did in the 40 days he was on the earth during his resurrected time. Then he ascended, right? He ascended into heaven and commissioned his followers to be witnesses of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So they waited for 40 days, or they waited for a couple more days. And then at the the day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit comes, the helper comes and fills the believers with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes and preaches a massive sermon to thousands of Jews who were there for the festival, and 3,000 souls were saved, and the church was born. There are baptisms, there's more proclamation, there's more growing of the church there in Jerusalem, more preaching, and more persecution, right? We learned very quickly on from Acts 3 onward, persecution was going to mark the church, whether by religious leaders or by false believers or by those who are causing division in the church, but persecution was going to come. And yet the gospel continued to spread, ultimately with one of the major stories of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10 with the conversion of a certain Gentile named Cornelius. Peter goes to Cornelius' house after both of them have visions. The gospel is proclaimed. Cornelius and his household believe. And that leads to even more persecution, right? With Saul, who was uh, overseeing some of that persecution, causing the believers to disperse all throughout the Roman Empire. And yet Saul himself uh, meets Jesus there in Acts chapter 9, becomes a believer himself, and is now going to be Uh, one of the major characters of the book of Acts. So so where we've been is uh, the beginning of the church, the growth of the church, the persecution of the church, and now the expansion of the church. So that's where we are going into Acts chapter 13. We also need to just take a moment to remember the major themes we've been noticing throughout the book of Acts. So you'll see those on the screen in just a moment. Um, We're getting some switching around here, but Uh, The first major theme is God the Father orchestrates. All throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see God the Father is sovereign over all things, and the circumstances of the church are underneath his sovereign control. Number two, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, rules. Uh, we're, We're learning about and hearing the gospel of Christ, not a dead Christ, but a living, raised, and ruling Christ. And he is king over all, and he is Lord of the church. Number three, Christ's rule is through the Holy Spirit. 
So all throughout the book of Acts, we're seeing Christ rule in his church through his spirit. We'll see that very clearly this morning in Acts chapter 13, when the spirit says, set aside for me, Saul and Barnabas. Number four, the spirit causes the word to progress. So as people proclaim the gospel, as people share Christ with others, the spirit of God is at work causing that word to progress. We'll see that as well in our text this morning. Number five, the word and spirit bring salvation. So when the gospel is proclaimed and the spirit is active, sinners become saved. Those who are dead become alive. Those who are blind now see. We'll see that as well in our text. Number six, believers form the church. One of the beautiful things from the first half of the book of Acts is we see that formation of the church. And now in Acts chapter 13 and onward, we're going to see the church at work to do number seven. The church continues to witness about the triune God to the ends of the earth. What we're going to witness this morning in Acts chapter 13 is the first overseas mission trip that comes from a local church. And that's going to be the pattern of the church of Christ throughout history. We see that starting even now. So those seven themes, let's keep that in mind as we run through this text together. If you're in Acts chapter 13, I just want to look at the first three verses as kind of introduction for us. So find that with me. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's striking for us as we're just kind of getting our wits about us about where we are. We're in Antioch. We're in a Gentile location reading about from the writer Luke, these leaders of the church. And he mentions five people, Saul, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Barnabas. Now, where we're from, we recognize that diversity is kind of normal, right? You go to school among a uh, mixed people group, uh, people who are different socially, different economically, different ethnically. There's, there's all kinds of differences. And in large part, um, we still exist in pockets of places where that diversity could be, could be more diverse, could be less diverse. But it's important for us to see, as Luke tells us about the leaders of the church in Antioch, that from the very beginning, the leadership of this church was very different. I mean, think about Saul of Tarsus, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. I mean, he is elite as far as the Jewish religion goes. Simeon, who is called Niger, that's, that's pulling from the fact that he is, uh, Niger is just the Latin word for black. So it's, it's most likely that, that Simeon was an African who came to Antioch. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is an, an, a northern African country. So we have these two African brothers who are now in Antioch. They're foreigners in the eyes of the Roman Empire, but that's who they are as leaders of the church in Antioch. Then you have Menaean, who was lifelong friends with Herod the Tetrarch. That's Herod Antipas, the one that we've read about before. So this is a high society individual who is uh, at least very close friends with someone who would grow up to be the king over Judea. So we have these foreigners, we have these Jewish Pharisees, now we have this Gentile high society individual, and then we have Barnabas, uh, a convert 
from Cyprus, a Hellenized Jew. So from the very beginning of the church in Antioch, we have this striking diversity that shows us that no matter where you're from, what your background is, what culture says about people like you, there is a place for you in Christ's church. We see that from the very beginning. But from this church and from their worship, the Lord's spirit speaks. We heard him say, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. The leaders laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas, commissioning them for the task they've been given. And now the first overseas mission trip begins. So we'll spend this week and next week learning about their first missionary journey. And for this morning, I want us to think about two major ideas that will come up in uh, our text. First, Christianity is the true faith. It's the true faith. Of all the religions, of all the belief systems of the world, we will see very clearly Christianity is the true faith. And number two, Christ is the true Savior. Although we can be looking for hope and salvation in all kinds of people, in all kinds of things, we'll see very clearly from our text, Christ is the true Savior. So we have a lot to cover. We're already a little behind. That's on me. Let's, let's run. All right, start in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and then they had John, or and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician or sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as the people of God, to hear your word read and taught. We pray, God, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us today. God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the gospel. We are thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him rule among us even now in Christ's name, amen. All right, so like I said, first big idea, Christianity is the true faith. Christianity is the true faith. Paul and Barnabas are sent on this work that the Spirit has called them to, and their first stop ultimately was Salamis, a place in Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's controlled by the Roman Empire, but there's obviously a Jewish presence because it says that the first place they go is the synagogue. So they go to the Jewish synagogue and start proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. We also meet here a man named John. And that gets confusing when you read the New Testament because you have John the Baptist, John the Disciple, and now this other John. Who is this? This is, as we'll learn in Acts chapter 15, this is John Mark. This is John Mark. This is a, a helper alongside Paul and Barnabas, who will leave in just a couple of verses and be the source of some frustration between Paul and Barnabas later on in their missionary work. 
We don't need to know a lot about him now, but just for now, know that this John is the John called Mark in, at the end of Acts 15. The major point of contention in what we just read is between Paul and this false prophet Bar-Jesus, which literally means son of Jesus or son of Joshua or son of the Savior. Also known as Elymas, he was connected to a man named Sergius Paulus, a man of high status. He was a Roman proconsul, a leader in Cyprus, like a political leader. So while the Jews were supposed to be a lighthouse to the nations, according to Isaiah 49, Bar-Jesus was leading Cyprus and leading Sergius Paulus in the wrong direction. He was a lighthouse. He was being followed, but where he was leading people to go was towards the rocks, not towards the shore. He was a magician, or uh, in some of your translations, a sorcerer. Something strictly forbidden for the Jews. You should not, it's like, it's almost like an oxymoron to have Jewish sorcerer, Jewish magician. Those things don't add up. They don't mix together. So here we have what's called syncretism. If you've never heard that, that word before, that's okay. You may want to write it down. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. Syncretism. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. Syncretism. What is syncretism? Syncretism is the combining or mixing of multiple ideas, beliefs, structures of faith, to create some new thing that we think is better. It's often what we do without even thinking about it. For instance, we like Jesus as a savior to deal with our sins and our problems. That, that's awesome. But maybe we also like the spiritual vibes of Buddhism, according to our culture. Or maybe we like the moral ambiguity of postmodernism that says, you can't really tell me that what I'm doing is wrong but I still like Jesus to be my savior for all my sins. That's syncretism. It's mixing these ideas and beliefs all together. Bar-Jesus, this false prophet, this magician, had clearly been influenced by others. And although Jewish by heritage and at least some practice, his true beliefs were all over the place. And the fact is, you are surrounded by syncretism every day. The people that you go to school with, the places that you go, the places that you work, the teams that you're a part of, you are surrounded by syncretists. You're surrounded by people who have mixed beliefs, mixed systems of faith. And if we're honest, we are often syncretists too. When we try to create or construct our faith as we want it to be, when we say things like, well, my God would never do blank, thinking that we get to decide what he's like, or what he's not like. That's syncretism. When we sometimes just pick and choose what we want, we're acting like Bar-Jesus. We're saying, well, I want these aspects of the faith, but not these aspects. But our faith isn't created. This is, this is a huge point that I hope you take with you. Your faith, not the act of believing, but the, the faith delivered once for all to the saints, the faith of Christianity is not created it's received. We receive it. We don't get to decide what it looks like. We don't get to decide its parameters. We don't get to decide how important certain things are. The faith is received and it comes directly from God and his word. So when Sergius Paulus 
sought Paul to hear about Jesus, and Barges, or, and Barges opposed Paul, it led Paul to bring forth a judgment against him. You read that. He is the son of the devil, full of villainy and deceit. And what happens? Paul blinds this guy, reminiscent very clearly of the book of Exodus and the plagues that was sent out to blind Egypt because of their hardness of heart. Students, Christianity is the true faith. The gospel that Jesus brought, that Peter and Paul preached about, that the New Testament reveals, it is the good news. So my prayer, my hope for you is that we all would seek to believe it fully so that we might begin to understand it rightly. The forces of evil are powerful. There's a reason why they call Bar-Jesus here a magician or a sorcerer. It seems as though he really does have certain kinds of powers, but they cannot stand against God and his word. So don't be deceived like Bar-Jesus by Christian syncretism that exists all over our community. Even today, see the ends of these two men. Bar-Jesus was blinded, but the Gentile proconsul believed and was saved. There's only two ways to go, blindness or light. Now, after this, Paul and Barnabas traveled to Pisidian Antioch or Antioch of Pisidia, where Paul gives a powerful sermon to those who would listen. Now, we don't have a lot of time to comment, so I'm just going to read this text. We're going to make it through uh, verse 42. So stick with me, listen closely, because the text is clear, all right? Let's read together, verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which, they are, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, 
who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he was raised from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it, to be, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if no one tells you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. When, when Paul and his crew finally get to Antioch and Pisidia, they go to the Jewish synagogue, and they're given an opportunity to share a word of encouragement. Now, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that his whole letter is a word of encouragement. And so we recognize that that phrase, word of encouragement, based on the scriptures, is none other than a sermon, right? They're asking, will you preach to us? Will you, will you explain the text? Will you apply the scriptures to us? So Paul takes this opportunity to preach, and he reminded them and us that God had a chosen people, gave them promises, and ultimately sent them a Savior. But the Jews in Jerusalem rejected the Savior. Why? because their hearts were hard and because they did not understand the scriptures. So they delivered Jesus over to Pilate. They killed him by putting him on the cross. And in so doing, Paul says, fulfilled the prophecies by condemning him. Again, God the Father is orchestrating all things. His sovereign rule is taking place in history. But Jesus did not see corruption. He did not stay dead. He was raised from the dead. And now the good news of his resurrection has come to these Jews. The son of Psalm 2, the holy one of Psalm 16 has come. And the explosive, unbelievable news that has come to the doorstep of Antioch Pisidia is found in verses 38 and 39. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You don't earn your salvation by obeying the law because you can't. You come to Christ. You receive his life, his righteousness. The love that God has for his son can be yours if you will put your hope and faith in this Savior, Jesus. And the people were hooked. It says they begged him, come back next week. Tell us more. We want to know more about this Jesus. We want to know more about this salvation. We want to know more about what you have to say. 
The grace of God was evident on Paul and Barnabas. But let's keep reading. Verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It seemed so good. It seemed like Paul and Barnabas had hooked the message of Christ into this Jewish synagogue. They were going to believe the next week comes and they're being contradicted. Enemies who were jealous of the gospel had risen up and stirred up strife against Paul and Barnabas. Once again, the Jews reject Christ and his gospel. And so Paul says, we're going to the Gentiles. This is just continuing to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah 49. We know ultimately Christ is the lighthouse to the nations, but but Paul and Barnabas as members of the body of Christ are now fulfilling that work by going individually to these Gentiles who received the word of the Lord, it says, with joy and worship. That is the right response. When we hear God's word, when we are reminded of the truths of the gospel, it should stir up our hearts to joy and to worship. Paul and Barnabas were persecuted and had to leave the city, but it says the word continued to spread. Continued to spread. Christianity is the true faith. Christ is the true savior. And the fact of Jesus is a dividing line in all the world. Listen to Patrick Schreiner. The the quote should be on the screen. It says, Christianity multiplies the true temple, but rips down the temples of the gods. The resurrection and ascension of Christ is a stone. It will either be a stumbling block or the cornerstone of a multi-ethnic temple community. You see, in this passage, in these two stories with Bar-Jesus and with the Jews of the synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia, Christ confronts the way of life for those who do not believe in him. And one of two things can happen. We either relent and repent and surrender our lives to Jesus, or we stumble over Jesus and fall headlong into destruction. Only two ways for us to go. So that begs the question, what is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Are you trying to fit Jesus into your almost figured out but not all the way life? 
Are, are you trying to shoehorn him into certain aspects of your life, but you want him well a, away from other parts? Are you trying to blend his lordship with your own idea of control over your life? Are you looking for your salvation in him or are you looking for your salvation in your own kind of law? Maybe it's church attendance. Maybe it's having more knowledge than your peers. Are you, are you trying to save yourself by being obedient to your own kind of law? Or are you resting in the finished work of Jesus who perfectly fulfilled the law? We must not reject the Son. There's only two ways we can go, two roads that we can walk down. One road leads to blindness, darkness, slavery, jealousy, and death. The other road, the way of Jesus, leads to life and light, and freedom. You give up your life and your control, but you get everything because you get him. So as we read this text and as we see the gospel beginning to spread out way out from Jerusalem, now we're approaching the ends of the known world as Paul and Barnabas continue on their missionary journey. My hope is that our time this week and next week in our groups will be time well spent. And today, I hope you'll think about what does syncretism look like in our culture? What does it look like in our day, in our community? And what kind of saviors are prevalent in our community? How does that affect us? And what might we do to rightly see Jesus and our faith as the true savior and the true faith?